we are just uh, we are just going kind of methodically through the book of John. If you're visiting with us today or just new to our church, we just uh, obviously we don't have a lot of frills. Um, we don't have necessarily even a building to call our own, but that's okay. Um, but uh, the one thing we do try to give you is the Bible. So we will do our best to give you the Word of God, uh, the way God meant it to be taken. And uh, good. could you just uh, shut that door? Yeah. Uh, John chapter 15 is where we'll be. John chapter 15, uh, down by verse number 9. Uh, if you're there, say amen. amen. Right, you got to be a little louder. It's a big auditorium. Amen. Okay, there we go. It's big. It's got cushions. You're very comfortable, so we got to be loud. Um, Let's see, John 15. Now, we had started this last week, uh, and I want to finish it, but uh, I had said last week, and I want to say it again, that our God is in the building business, amen? Uh, the Lord is all about building Christians, right? He's not about building cathedrals. He's not about building, let's say, large parking lots. He's about building people. And uh, the story is told uh, years ago that uh, uh, my pastor, Pat Dean, he had come from Ohio with, uh, with Mel Sabaka to pioneer First Bible Church, which was then Bible Baptist. Uh, and uh, uh, Pat Dean was, I think, a deacon at the time, and he had left his family and come over with Mel Sabaka and uh, kind of like cornered Mel Sabaka in the, uh, in the office of the church building there at 6200 Amboy Road and basically said something to effect like, you know, what are we doing here, Mel? Like, what are we building here, Mel? Like, what, what's the plan? And he said, I didn't come here to build a church, Pat. He said, I came here to build Christians. And that's really the spirit of God. That's the spirit we want to have. And that's the spirit you see the Savior have. He wasn't about building, let's say, a large estate or building up even ministries. Or He was about trying to build people up one at a time. And that's what the Bible is all about, building you up one at a time. And a big part, if we, if we follow this analogy, a big part of the building process is the insulation, right? Uh, the insulation keeps the warmth in and the elements out. Now, picture yourself in John chapter 15. It's been three and a half years. For three and a half years, Jesus Christ had been building his disciples, laying a foundation, establishing a framework, who he is, what he had come to do, what their future was, what their calling was, how they were supposed to interact with each other. He's laying all this groundwork. And in that upper room, in this scene we're going to talk about, Jesus Christ is trying to insulate his disciples. He knows he can't isolate them because he's got to insulate them because he knows they have to go out into that world. He knows he's going to leave and they have to go out into that lost world and be lights that shine in a dark place. So he's like, you guys can't hide up here in this room forever. Eventually you got to get out there and be the salt and the light I've called you to be. And I love to stay in church forever and have potluck lunches forever. But the truth is, you and I have to go out of this place and go forth outside the camp and bear his reproach and be that light that shines in a dark place. And John 15, 9 is where he gives us the insulation. He says, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my Love. He says, We need guys and you need guys the insulating power of God's love to keep God's people going for God. I can't just keep kicking you, right? I can't that that's not gonna motivate you forever. Right? If the preacher's just got to keep kicking you to come to church and read your Bible and give out tracts and sanctify yourselves, if all you're doing is because the pastor or the preacher's kicking you, you got the wrong motivation. Now, every, we all need a good kick once in a while, myself first on that list. But you know what's got to really provoke you? The Bible says the love of Christ constraineth us. The thing that's going to really motivate you to go on a, read that Bible is because 
It's a love letter from God to you. The thing that's going to make you want to tell that family member about the love of God is because you know God's love yourself. The reason why you're going to want to bow your heart and say, Lord, thank you for this meal this afternoon is because you know the grace of God that shined on your dear soul. It's the love of God that's got to provoke you. That's what's going to insulate you. And when life starts to suck, well, as it often does sometimes, what's going to keep you going the next round as you're boxing in this life, this thing you call life, is the fact that you know you have a Savior that loves you that much that he says, continue ye in my love. Keep going in my love. That's what's going to keep us going. We said last week, it's a giving kind of love. Remember that? And we said last week, it's a fellowshipping kind of love. And it's that I want to talk about today because God's insulating love, you know what it's meant to do? Keep the warmth in and this cold world out. That's what insulation does. But here's the angle I want to talk about today. I want to finish this message up, God willing. Number one, what happens if you fail to insulate yourself with God's love? So like what happens if we just don't continue in his love and we don't insulate? And number two, how do disciples actually apply God's insulating love to their lives? Like, how do we actually, you know, you know, I know you use a staple gun to maybe apply that insulation to your walls, but how do you actually apply God's insulation to us, to each other? So let's pray and we'll, we'll jump in here a little bit, okay? Lord, we love you today. We thank you today. Thank you that you love us so much, Lord, that you gave your only begotten Son, Lord, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Lord, as my brother sang, we don't want to move from that spot. I shall not be moved today, Lord, that you love me that much, Lord, that you said, how shall you not also freely give me all things? So Lord, help us to get lost in that love. Help us to love each other the right way. Help us to take heed to what this message has for me and for us. May we be better Christians having walked in here and heard the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So look at John chapter 15. Last week we talked a lot about um, the aspects of God's love towards us, the giving nature of his love, the, the fellowshipping nature of his love. But what I want to get into today is like kind of like the, I gave you the carrot last week. This is going to be the stick. Because if you don't insulate yourself with God's love, your heart will grow cold. You don't insulate walls in a, on, a, on a house, guess what's going to happen? The house will get cold. <laughs> your pipes are going to freeze. You're going to have a mess on your hands. Some of you might be nodding from experience, and I'm sorry if that's you. But if you don't insulate yourself with God's love, all those outside elements that are trying to find any nook or crevice to infiltrate, they will make their way into your heart, and they're just going to cold that thing up, freeze that thing up, where you will You'll be telling God, I shall not be moved when he wants to move you because you're going to be like a rock. You're going to be like an adamant stone, right? So think about this. You know God loves you if you're saved? Amen. Do you know that? Right? You got to believe. I know you know it up here, but you got to like, like almost touch it and like hold it in your hand. Like God loves you the way he loved his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if that's true, God is against the world, right? If God's going this way, the world's going that way. If God says it's good, the world's probably going to say it's bad. If God says it's bad, the world's probably going to say it's good. That's why the Bible says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, because that's how the world is. If you didn't have a Bible and you wanted to know which way God was going, just find which way the world is going and go the opposite direction, and you'll probably be going in the way God is going, even without a Bible verse. Just find the way the world is going and turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction and you'll find which way God is going because God is against the world and the world is against God if that's true the world will do everything and anything contrary to God's love for you that's what they're going to do now look at John chapter 15 he's just talked about his love now he's going to talk about something else in verse 18 he says hey if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute 
Uh, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Wow, you see that? That's some serious hate. He says, the world hates me. They hate my father, and if you're following me and follow my father, they're going to hate you. I know it's not a great message to hear, but it's the truth. Shouldn't shock you the next time somebody looks at you sideways because you don't want to go drinking with them. It shouldn't shock you the next time you give somebody a gospel track and they rip it up and tell you, get out of my face, stop persecuting me with your religion. Don't be shocked when those things happen because he says the world is going to hate me because they're going to hate you because they hated me. Now follow this reasoning. If, God's, if God loves you like he loved Jesus Christ, amen, that was last week's message, then the world is going to hate you the way it hated Jesus Christ. You got me? And if the Lord loves you with a giving kind of love, the world's going to hate you with a taking kind of hate. They're going to take from you. Now go to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I'll show you that. In 1 Samuel, Israel was getting ready to become a, a good established nation. They were really becoming an established nation there. They were coming into a kingdom. And you know who wanted to be their king? God wanted to be their king. And they said, ah, we don't want God to be a king. We want a, we want a king like everybody else. We want, you know, like those guys that we see on TV. Everybody's got them, you know. We watch C-SPAN too. We want one of those uh, knuckleheads to rule over us. And Samuel said, all right. God said, give them what they want. And in 1 Samuel 8, we see the people's choice of a king. <clears throat> and the people's choice, Laodicea, rights of the people, justice for the people, the ways of the people. The people's choice of a king was King Saul. And King Saul, let me not get on a thing, but he's a lot like some of the leaders we have today. He was an absolute knucklehead. Right? He was just a, a dingbat of the, of, the, of the greatest proportions. And, and it says in 1 Samuel 8, 10, Samuel warns them. He says, you want a king like everybody else? Here he comes. The world's going to give you a king, and he's going to be a taker. In fact, that's the warning, 1 Samuel 8, verse 10. It says, and Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king, and he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. Watch it. He will take. And he goes on for the next 10 verses talking about all the stuff he would just take. He will take, he will take, he will take, he will take. He'll be a taker. The world's a taker. And Saul, if you're a Bible student at all, Saul is a type of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will be a taker. He'll be a bloodsucker. He'll be a thief and a robber. He's just coming to steal and pillage and destroy. You know, folks, the world is getting ready for a false Christ called the Antichrist. You know what he's going to be? He's going to be a taker. You know what he's going to take? You know what the first thing he's going to take from you? The Antichrist is going to take your freedom and take your liberty while promising you freedom and promising you liberty. He's going to pull the ultimate bait and switch. He's going to serve you up something. He's going to serve the world up something that they think is going to bring in peace and safety and bring in Shangri-La-La-La, and it's going to wind up being a hammer on their heads, right? And we see glimpses of it now. We see, and I'm not getting political. I'm just trying to wake you up a little bit. You know, they're talking about all these CBDCs, these central bank digital currencies, where they want to know, we don't need cash anymore. We're just going to track all your money and know all your expenses. And we think, wow, that's so great. No more fraud. No more theft. No more wallets. No more this. No more that. Yeah, and the guy behind the panel who's pressing the buttons can figure out what you get, what do you don't get, who you give to, who you don't give to, and what penalties we assign to you when you give and spend things that we don't approve of. It's going to promise people liberty. Wow, look at this. All this safety, all this freedom, all this Shangri-La-La-La, and the Antichrist is going to use that like a noose around the world's neck. 
to basically put them in a situation where they won't be able to buy or sell unless they prescribe to his program. It's on your doorsteps. You say, Pat, you're being sensational. I'm not, I'm just opening up my eyeballs. I know it ends here, Revelation 13, and I'm right about here where they're talking about getting rid of cash, getting rid of things, bringing in a one world currency, getting rid of all the money in your pocket and be able to track all your transactions. You say, where'd you get that out of the Bible? I got that off the news. They're talking about it now. Like it's gonna be the greatest thing since sliced bread. What is that? That's the taker. Gonna come and take and take and take. While promising you liberty and promising you freedom, they're gonna just tighten that noose around you and squeeze the very life out of you, right? Now, look at, uh, now, eventually though, you know what the Antichrist is gonna take? Not just your money and not just your freedom. You know what he's really after? He's after the souls of men. Because if you don't prescribe to his system, if you don't worship him, you don't eat. <laughs> so you got to get on on the worship. And it says if you worship him, you perish. <laughs> That's what it says in Revelation. If people, and we'll be out of here, the church will be gone. We'll be watching this from maybe the, maybe the banners of heaven. We'll be watching this. But those people that are left behind in the tribulation time, those people that are part of that system, think about that. That's tyranny of the highest order. You know, I don't know. I guess I'm too American. Something in me hates tyranny. You know, something in me just like, it just, it just doesn't feel right. You know, people are getting squeezed and pushed by tyrants. It just, doesn't it bother you? It just, just doesn't feel right. I mean, it's not even about being American. It just doesn't feel natural. Like life is free and it grows where it wants. And, and just the, the devil is just, he hates that. He wants to control and be a part, just set up that grid. You know, just like set up that grid and just control people. You know, the power of darkness just wants to enshroud people and strangle people and keep people like, you know, like a dog just chasing a treat. The devil just wants to make you chase things and put you in bondage. Jesus said, I want to make you free, right? But he wants to put you in bondage. And, and that antichrist, he's ultimately trying to put you in such a bondage that he steals your soul. That soul that was meant to love and worship God, he wants to steal that thing and watch it perish and just stick his finger in God's eye and say, I got another one. I got another one. And that's if you worship him, you will perish. Because the antichrist is who? I don't know if you know who he is, tell me later. But he's Satan in a human body, right? Jesus Christ was God in a human body. The Antichrist is Satan in a human body. And guess what? Satan is the ultimate taker. He's called a thief. He's the opposite of God. God is a giver. Satan is a taker. You gotta get that down. If there's nothing you else get down today, get that down. Satan is a taker and God is a giver. C.S. Lewis said this about God and I think it's pretty good. He said, God is goodness. He can give good but cannot need it or get it. In that sense, his love is as it were bottomlessly selfless by very definition. It has everything to give and nothing to receive. You're going to make God better? You're going to give God some of your goodness? He doesn't need it. He wants to give you his goodness. All God is is a giver. He gave you life. He gave you his son. He gave you joy. He gave you victory. He gave you peace. He gave you freedom. He gave you the Bible. He gave you the church. He gave you the brethren. He just gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. And the devil rolls up in your Eden and makes you think that he's a meanie. While he's making you think he's a meanie, he's there stealing your joy, stealing your peace, stealing your family, stealing your happiness, stealing your purity. He's just taking all that stuff away while trying to convince you that God's the one that's mean, the one that put his son on the cross. You see how twisted he is? You see the, the, the trail of the serpent? And um, what I'm saying to you is this, folks. If you don't insulate, and I got a lot of room to like yell and scream up here, so I'm liking this, All right? I'm gonna, I'll fill this stage up. It's been a while since I filled the stage, but I could do it. I'm loud enough. But um, if you don't insulate yourself, if nobody else gets a blessing, I'll get a blessing, right? If you don't insulate yourself with God's giving love, you're gonna lose something. I'm warning you. You're gonna lose something. And I know people don't like preaching like this too much. That's why the world's a mess and the church is on the toilet seat. But uh, we need like some hard, straight, admonitions, you know, and, and, and this passage here is a warning, right? Look at, look at some of the things you could lose, verse 11. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons. 
You know what he'll do? He'll take your sons. You know what happened, boys? My teenage and young adult boys, you're not careful. Some girl's going to steal your strength, boys. Some little hussy, some little harlot is going to steal your strength. God wants to use your strength for God and some girl, you're going to let some girl turn your eyes and have you chasing that tail all over the place and the energy you could use for loving God and helping your family and maybe earning a living, you're going to be chasing some tail because I know a guy will chase a tail from here to Timbuktu if he thinks he's going to grab that tail. And if you think it's not true, you just haven't lived long enough and chased any tail. But just you learn from experience that guys are idiots and all they got to do is realize that they might, if they got the scent, they'll chase that tail all over the place, right? My dog, if he's a boy, if one of, I go to somebody's house that has a dog, he will be all up on my shoes. He'll be all up on my clothes. He'll be like, "Ah," you know, I'm like, get the heck out of here. Leave me alone. Why? Because he's got a scent. And guys ain't too far behind. When they think they got a scent, saved or lost, they'll be like, no. You know what the devil will do? He'll use that. That could be something beautiful that God designed for when you find the right one, when God brings the right one to you. God designed something beautiful and special. You know what will happen if you follow the devil because you're impatient and you just want to feel good and everybody else is doing it? He'll take your strength. The devil will take your strength. The world will take your strength, boys. Man, we got a room of young men here. We could turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. But all I got to do is have that one girl call you up, and you're shot. I'm not even going to try. You're shot. You're done. I know the handwriting's on the wall, right? He'll take your, he'll take your boy. He'll take your strength, boys. He'll, she'll take your strength. Some harlot, some hussy, some, some wicked thing will take your strength. Verse 13. Let me bother you a little bit more. Right? Let me bother you a little bit more. 13, it says, and he will take your daughters. Right? Let me tell you something. Nobody's taking my daughter without, or my boys without a fight. Like, you know, I'm going down with a fight. I'm, I'm going down swinging. Like, if I see that stuff on the horizon, I see that stuff coming, like, I am jumping into protective mode. <laughs> and it says right there, he will take your daughters. Can I say this to you? Ladies, some dog, if you let him, some dog will steal your purity, ladies. Amen. He'll steal your ability to blush, ladies. And that's a sad thing. That's what the world wants to do. You're looking at me like I'm like, like twist, like what's he talking about? What? Just tell me about the love again. No, I got to give you the other side. Because <laughs> the other side is that boy, you know, he wants to tell you, oh, if you love, if any ladies, young ladies, all the ladies, louder now, help me out. Come on, all the ladies, right? Right? If you're sitting here right now and, you, and, you're, and, and that guy is telling you if, you, if he starts the sentence with, if you love me, you would, here's what you need to do. Slap him in the face and walk on down the road. Can you do that for me? If anybody's using, if you love me, you would, just crack him a good one and say, I did it for you and just walk on down the road. If you want me to do it, I will volunteer to be a part of that ministry while I'll crack those knuckleheads upside the head if they want to try to use that junk on you. Because what that's the world just trying to steal purity, just steal innocence, just steal that beautiful thing, that, those things that could be beautiful. You know what else he'll take? Verse 14. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. You know what he'll do? He'll take your stuff. That world, with that God of that world, he wants to use up all your time. All your time. So you got no time to read, no time to pray, no time to go to Bible study, no time to go to church, no time to think about God, no time to think anything else but about the thousand bills because you got to live and keep up with the Joneses that are running 50 yards down the road ahead of you. He's like, oh, He'll take, he'll use up all your time. He'll waste all your talent and he'll drain all your resources. He'll take your stuff. That's what the world wants to do. If you got a gift for music, you got a gift for just doing something, you got a gift to gab, guess what? The world wants to take that and use it somewhere else. Take that and it could be used on street ministry. It could be used counseling people. It could be used preaching. It could be used maybe playing an instrument up here and the world, it'll just take it and redirect it. Because he's a taker. He's a taker. He's looking. He sees. I look out in this room and I see all the potential. I see all the talent. Doesn't the enemy see the same thing? Oh, man, there's some people out here that could do some great stuff for God. Let me just get them a little bit too busy so they can't have any time to do anything for God. I mean, and I'm starting with myself. If I was as sold out as I should be, we'd light the whole state on fire. You know, I was talking to my buddy this week that doesn't go here. And I said, man, 
I'd like to take the whole state of New Jersey for Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let's go after the whole state. Not just Monmouth County, not just Matawan, not just Marlboro, not just Colts Neck, not just Freehold, not just you know, Middlesex, not just these surrounding areas. How about the whole state for Jesus Christ? Say, why not? I know 12 guys turned the whole nation upside down 2,000 years ago. We got more than 12 in here with the same Holy Spirit and the same Savior. But you know why? They were sold out. We're not. We're so busy and entangled and overwhelmed and this and that. And what's the world done? He's taken all your stuff, right? Look at the next thing he says in verse 15. And he will take the 10th of your seed. You know what he'll take? He'll take your 10th. You know what the 10th was? The tithe was what they would offer to God. You know what he'll do? He'll take anything that you could offer to God. You got anything maybe left over that you could offer to God? The world will snatch that up. <laughs> and it could be money, it could be talent, it could be energy, it could be anything. The world just wants to take, take, take. And then verse 16, it says, And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. You know what he'll take? He'll take your labor. And put those labors in the house of a stranger, the Bible says. He'll have you working for the enemy. He'll have you working. And I'm not saying you got to go to work. You got to go to work. I get that. I'm not saying don't go to work tomorrow as much as I'd like to not do that. But I got to go do that. I'm not saying that. But he's saying just that energy, just that time, just that, ugh. You know, I talked about it last week. You know, when I was back in Brooklyn Tech, I used to coach a team. You know what it did? It just took all my time. And I, it wasn't bad. I was helping kids. And I tried to rationalize that, yeah, I'm helping kids. But in the end, I was just making excuses, trying to do something I like to do, right? And I just, it sucked all that time away that I could have given to the Lord. And then my wife was finally like, honey. And I was like, you're right. And I stopped. And when they asked me now in my new schools, you want to do that again? I'm like, no, sir. No, thank you. I'm not doing it because I know it'll happen. I'll get sucked into it. I, I want to, if I got a year or two years, if I drop dead in five minutes, so be it. You know what? I want to try to empty the tank for the Lord. I want to try to like burn myself out so that when I get there and I, if I have to limp over the finish line, at least the Lord will say, well, well done. <laughs> Not, well, you made it. You know, I don't want that. I want him to say, well done. Not like, well, I guess you were, yeah, I guess you're saved. I mean, you didn't look like it, but you were. But I want him to see me just, if I got a scratch and claw and just plow through like a lineman trying to bust a hole open before the goal line, that's what I got to do. I mean, isn't there any of that in you? Am I the only one? I'm not a tough, I'm not a tough guy. I never played football. I could barely coordinate, you know, two things like going at the same time. But I mean, if you know the Savior went a little further and a little farther and like poured out his soul unto death, and there's not something in a red-blooded man that says, wow, I want to follow that captain. I don't understand what's up with your salvation. You're way too entangled. You're way too numb to what Jesus Christ has for you because the devil wants to take all your labor that you could be doing something for God that's eternal with your family and all that good stuff. I don't just mean like setting up in here, just with your family and your life and just loving God the right way. He wants to take all that energy. So you got nothing left to give. And then at the end, verse 17, here's, uh, if you're not insulated like you should, here's the last thing, 17, and ye shall be his servants. If you're not insulated like you should be, you know what he'll finally take? He'll take you. He'll just take you. And the Bible says, our iniquities like the wind have carried us away. You'll get so caught up doing the wrong thing and you keep doing the wrong thing. Eventually, the devil will just be able to move you around and he'll take you. And that's scary. That's scary. That's, that's if you don't get lost in God's giving kind of love, you'll get suckered by the taker. You gotta realize how much he gave for you. Right, we had this little. Uh, we had this great. We had a great weekend, by the way. The ladies I heard had a very lovely meeting. A great meeting. It was a blessing. I heard just a kind of an impromptu meeting at Liz's house. Thank you, Liz. That was. A, I heard it was great uh, from my wife and others. And the guys yesterday, we packed that woman's club out. Yeah, we packed that woman's club out. And uh, the guys had an amazing breakfast with an amazing message about this amazing Creator who holds all things in the palm of His hand. And you know what? That's just. Wow, that God that gave you life, that gave you hope, that gave you Jesus Christ, that gave you a future, that gives you access, that gives you victory. If you get lost in that giving kind of love, you're not going to let that guy take anything from you. You've got to insulate yourself with that giving so the taker can just go on down the road and kick bricks, right? So that's the first thing we said about his love. It's a giving kind of love. 
but we also said it was a unifying kind of love. And if the Lord loves you with a unifying kind of love, the world's gonna hate you with a divisive kind of hate. So you better insulate yourself against the divisive spirit of this world. You know, despite all the lip service the world pays to UNITY, right, to unity, right? They pay all this, I'm doing really bad illusions today, but like if all the lip service they pay to unity, you realize this world is more divided than ever. More divided than ever. We're like donkeys and elephants can't even be in the same room anymore. We're, we're red and blue can't even be around each other anymore. We're black and white are beating each other up in the streets now, right? That's just, that didn't happen when I was a kid. I'm sorry. That, we didn't roll like that, right? We, did, we didn't roll like that, but the world, my goodness, folks, we got people hating each other over their culture. We got people hating each other over their backgrounds. We got people hating each other because of their bank accounts. We got the United, irony, the United States of America on the brink of like a civil war. Like people are ready to blow their top and run to their guns and just shoot their neighbors. Like they're, they're losing their minds. We got divorce rates that are skyrocketing. We got children who hate their parents and want nothing to do with them. You see, what is that? That's the God of this world. Because <laughs> the God of this world is behind it all. Because he knows a house divided cannot stand. It's the oldest military strategy in the book. Divide and conquer. Divide, divide the family, conquer it. Divide the nation, conquer it. Divide the church, conquer it. That's the spirit of this world. That's the spirit all outside this room. That's like if you could see it encroaching upon you, that's what that spirit wants to do. It wants to divide, divide, divide. That's the devil's playbook. God wants to unify, bring together, have there be that harmony, that one mind and one mouth that loves Jesus Christ and serves him with that one spirit and the world just wants to tear you apart and watch you tear each other apart. That's why you gotta insulate yourself against that divisive spirit of this world. Look at 1 Corinthians 1. Am I making any sense to anybody? Because you're really far away now. I'm ready to jump off into the deep here, you know? I see Leviathan playing in there, right? But anyway, um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1. First, the Corinthians were a very divided church. Pastor Mel used to say that if any church was like the church out here in the New York City area, which is where we are, it would be the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul uh, warns against them and says, Now I beseech you, brethren, 1 Corinthians 1.10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Wow. Go to chapter 11. Watch this. That's what he told them to do. Were they doing it? No. 1118. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. <laughs> he says, it's getting in, guys. I told you not to let it in, but you're letting it in. And brethren, if that's the weather outside... If the weather outside is frightful, right, and it's divisive, and it wants to make you tear each other apart and divide you and polarize you and split you up and do all that stuff, if that's the weather outside, you better believe that spirit's trying to get in here. That spirit's trying to get in here and get between families and get between brethren and get people turned against each other. We have to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And if the Lord loves you enough to show you everything, because that's what we said last week, he wants to show you and fellowship with you and get you in on everything he's doing, then guess what? The world wants to confuse you. The world wants to keep you in the dark. The world wants you to wonder about that hidden knowledge on that tree. That's how the world rolls, right? That's how the devil rolls. Hey, but what about that tree? You don't know what that's like, do you? How many kids did he get doing something wrong? Because he said, hey, how do you know you don't like it if you don't try it? Right? Can I just give you the answer to that, kids? When someone says, how do you know you don't like it if you don't try it? Just ask them, have you ever put your, your thumb in a cheese grinder? No. How do you know you don't like it if you don't try it? 
Have you ever stuck a needle in your eye? Of course not. How do you know you don't like it if you don't try it? Just show them how dumb that reasoning is, right? You've got some people, right? I got my left eye got maimed by a thorn bush when I was eight years old, so I'm legally blind in my left eye. You want to know what it's like to have a thorn bush rip your eye open? No, you don't, right? I could warn you and tell you you don't want to experience that. You don't need to try everything to experience it. So, but that's how the devil rolls. Hidden knowledge, Gnosticism, mystery, right? That's what new age is all about, right? Hidden knowledge, mysterious knowledge. Let's open up your third eye and just have you go all the way down the rabbit hole and see what's out there, right? That's, you know, people messing around with drugs and all this stuff that goes on in like, you know, certain types of LSD trips. And, you know, I saw this, I saw that. Certain monks do things like that. That's all satanic. It's all trying to search for this hidden knowledge. God says, hey, knowledge is easy to them that understand, (laughs) It's like right there. God wants to put it right there. Come unto me, all you that labor. I'll give you rest. The devil makes it secretive and hidden. And, you know, they do that with your, with your soul. Hey, you live a good life and do the best you can. And maybe at the end of your life, you'll go to heaven. But you can't be for sure. But try your best. But you'll never know for sure. But try your best. But you'll never know. Right? What is that? Is that God? No, God says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. 1 John 5, 13. The religion says, that's a sin of presumption. You can't ever know for sure. That's presumptuous to say that. Where did you get that out of? You didn't get that out of this Bible. Jesus said, these things I say unto you that you might be saved. Are you saved? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You see, that sounds so easy because the Bible says knowledge is easy to him that understandeth. If you know who God is and who you are, hey, it's easy to know you need to get saved. It's easy to see the way of salvation. It's easy. But when you get caught up in this self-righteous, mystical, Gnostic garbage, you know what you end up doing? You'll end up sounding like a postmodern philosopher, right? That's what you got. If you're not insulated against that spirit of confusion... You'll be suckered by Satan and speaking like a postmodern philosopher. Postmodern. We're going to deconstruct everything. Why only one man and one woman? Why? Love is love. Right? Why, why only one Bible for the church? One says it as good as the next one, doesn't it? All the fundamentals are in there, aren't they? Why only Jesus Christ to get to heaven? Why not Mary? Why not Buddha? Why not Muhammad? Why not Allah? Why not, why not this one? Why not that one? You see, that's postmodernism. Just why, 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 why? Postmodernism is like a three-year-old that never learned to shut up. Why, 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 why? Why is two plus two four? Because it is. Why is Jesus Christ God? Because he is. Right? Ultimately, truth has to start with a, with a terminus. He is that first cause. He is the way, the truth, and the life because he's the way, the truth, and the life. But see, confusion wants to come in there and just twist that and turn that around. And the world, oh my goodness, the world is lost in confusion. Aren't they confused out there? Come on, aren't they confused out there? I mean, they're confused. I mean, David said, I have more understanding than all my teachers. I mean, it is easy to look smart today. It's really easy to look smart. You could be stupid and look smart, right? I'm telling you, it's really simple. They don't know anything about what truth is. They don't even know what gender is. They don't know anything about money or what to do with it, why it's going away, why it's going into a bag with holes. They don't understand what's going on in the Middle East. They don't understand who God is. They don't understand how to get to heaven. They are confused about everything, And we should be trying to tell them because it's sad to see our loved ones so confused about everything. So much so, they don't know which way is up anymore, right? Up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left, good is bad, bad is evil, bitter is sweet, sweet is bitter. God told us in Isaiah 5, watch out for the day when it gets so upside down that the world seems like it's crazy. The Bible says it will be given to madness. And the world is given to madness. I mean, madness it's just watch. I don't watch the news anymore, but every once in a while you just turn something on. You're like, I wish I didn't look at that. And it's not like you're looking at anything bad. It's just like a headline. Just Really? Really? Like you want, I'm just strike me YouTube down if you want to, but you want to have a 50-year-old dude go play basketball with a bunch of high school girls, and I got to sit here and pretend like you're one of them, right? Cuckoo, 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 right? That's just, I mean, you're clobbering them on the court. You're throwing them on the ground. You're banging them left and right. Forget about boxing out. You're knocking them into the stands. 
And we're supposed to pretend like you're one of them, right? It's just like, let's all pretend. It's like, don't tell the emperor he's naked. Like, it's, it's madness. It's mad. I'm just hating. I'm just saying, in that madness, and some of you are uncomfortable that I'm saying that. I hope he gets off this soon. They're going to come in. The black helicopters, they're coming, right? Where are the egresses? Mike Colleen, where are the egresses, right? You're, you're all like worried about this stuff. Hey, the world has gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They're crazy. I am not going to finish this one either. I'm not doing All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. There's no clocks in here. This is great. All right, 1 Corinthians 14. I know you got your phones, All right? Listen. 1 Corinthians 14. I mean, I look like the nut job for standing up here and saying those things. And the pundits, I watched this MSNBC thing, unfortunately, this week, where the, where the woman got up there. I think she was a woman. But if I ask what is a woman, I get in a lot of trouble. But she got up there and she said, you know, these Christians think that their rights come from God. And, you know, and, and all the pundits were like, yeah. I mean, and I was like, was she saying something bad? <laughs> right? These Christians think that they have rights to life and stuff that weren't given them to by, by a government. Like, I thought that's what it said. I thought that's what we were doing. I thought that God gave me life, right? God gave me these things. God gave me all this stuff. 1 Corinthians 14, says, God is not the author of confusion. So if you're confused today, what spirit are you letting into your life? Perhaps you've been infiltrated Perhaps you have not been insulated and that spirit's getting into your life. Can you go to Deuteronomy 28? Let me show you something. You know, the only thing people learn from history is what we say. They don't learn from history. And if you want a good example of what not to do, the Bible says, look back to Israel. Look what they did wrong. And the Bible says, that's a good example for you of what not to do. And in Deuteronomy 28, the Bible says this. Deuteronomy 28, verse number uh, 65. This is a sad account of Israel just going sideways. This is Israel just turning against God. And it says, Deuteronomy 68, uh, 28, 65. He says, And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, because God said, I'm going to scatter you. Neither shall the soul of thy foot have rest, but the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee and shalt have none assurance of thy life. He's saying when Israel, when you get away from God, you're going to lose your insulation. You're going to end up doubting everything, wondering about everything, afraid for everything. That would happen to Israel. And can I tell you, when you get away from God's insulating love, you'll get infiltrated by doubt. You'll get infiltrated by fear. You'll get infiltrated by anxiety. Why? Because you forgot the things that God told you were true and lovely and right. And you start letting those things into your life and into your mind. You know what? You get infiltrated and God says, when you get infiltrated and get away from that insulating love that says, hey, I want to freely give you all things. I'll explain it all to you. When you get away from that, God says, you're going to end up in doubt and have none assurance of thy life. And most Christians today don't know they're saved or aren't sure who Jesus Christ is. Why? Because they've let that infiltrating spirit of confusion get into their churches, get into their homes, and get into their minds and those things that are surely known among us. God says, I want you to know the certainty of the words of knowledge. We've lost the certainty because we've let that spirit infiltrate and steal our Bibles and steal our doctrine and steal our truth. So let me finish with this. Go to John chapter 15 again. All right? So here's my last question. I'm going to end on this thought, right? How do we apply God's insulating love so our hearts do not grow cold, so our hearts do not hang in doubt, so we don't get lost in the spirit of this age? Now, if you've done any work on your house, I'm sure many of you had, you probably applied your insulation to your house or to your bare walls with a staple gun, right? You probably, you know, staple it in there, get it in there good. Well, how do you apply God's love, right? I mean, I don't have a staple gun, right? So how do we apply God's love? Well, I'm gonna show you something here, and I think the answer is right here in John 15. You notice in verses nine to 11, which we read last week and a little bit this week, those first few verses are about God's insulating love for his disciples, right? You with me? Just nod, got me? 
Cool. Then verse, we read 18 to 25 earlier. That is about the world infiltrating hate for those of us who want to follow Jesus Christ. You got me with that, right? Watch what's right in the middle. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Right in the middle between God's love for us and the world's hate for us is the saints' love for each other. That's the key. Because what stands between God's love and the world's hate? The brethren. The brethren. We stand in the gap. And in verse 12, he says, how do I apply? Think about this. God's love is abstract. I I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it tastes like but I know what your love looks like. I know what God's love through you looks like. So how do I apply the abstract love of God? How do I do it? Through the practical love of the brethren for each other. That's the insulation. That's where we apply it. And in John 15, 12, he says, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We've got to love each other the way Jesus Christ loves us. That's how we apply the insulation. We take what God gave to us and give it to each other, and then we... That's how we insulate this place, this family, against the onslaught of the spirit and the elements of this age. Look at me to 1 John chapter 3. Real quick, just a few more verses, real quick. 1 John 3. 1 John 3, right? 1 John chapter 3, familiar verse probably. What do we say about God's love? We said it's a loving kind of love. It's a giving kind of love. So you know what I'm supposed to be towards others? Giving. I'm supposed to have that same heart towards each other. That's how we take the love of God and apply it to each other. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Are you loving each other with that giving kind of love? Don't answer out loud, but are you laying your life down like Jesus Christ for each other? Or are you living like you're the king? Because that's not how Jesus lived. He lived as a servant to his brethren. Do you? He said right there, and we read it earlier, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Say, oh, these are my friends in here. Okay, are you willing to lay something down for them? I'm not saying you got to take a bullet for them. That would be an extreme example. But if you're willing to die for them, would you be willing to live for them? To answer their phone calls, to deal with their problems, to forbear them in love, to take their offenses, to swallow your pride, to let them just take it easy on them, to not flip out on them every time they do something that steps on your toes, right? Would you live for them like that? Look at chapter four of the same book. Look. Chapter 4, verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Great verse. Let's stick it on a banner and put it on the street. I like it. But verse 11, I like too. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. The same way he loved us. Oh boy, that set the bar pretty high. Verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, loveth God, love his brother also. He's saying, Our love for each other helps us experience God's insulating love because I can't feel God's love. What does it look like? What does it taste like? Where is it so I can buy some? No, but I can sense God's love through you. That's what he's saying. We can't see God, but I can see your love for each other. Don't you realize that's why Jesus Christ made such a big deal about disciples loving each other in the upper room? 
That's why he made such a big deal about how we treat each other. That's why he kept pounding it in, in that upper room. Love one another, love one another. That was his last message to them. Love one another, love one another. Because that's how you take this abstract thing that I've done for you and make it practical on the ground level for each other. That's why yesterday, yesterday, after the men's breakfast, about, I don't know, 15 or 20 of us, we went to go look at a building out in the Keyport area. And the building was like, you know, a wreck. You know, it was a, it was a big wreck, and we were just seeing if it was a wreck that could be salvaged. And a lot of guys came. And you know what? It was such a blessing. Whether the building works out or not, and it's probably not. Like, I don't know. It's just a building to look at. It was an hour of our time. It was, you know, nice to look at. But you know what struck me? Like guys in here that have some trade skills, they came and looked. Guys uh, that are sitting in this audience that I've known for years, guys that, I, that aren't sitting here today that have been saved, that I've known for 20 years, you know what? They volunteered their time to just come and take a look at a building that probably has very little to ever do with them. You know what that struck me about? That was an amazing illustration of God's love in action to me. Because God doesn't care about the building. God cares about how we treat each other. You know what struck me about? You know what that was a reminder to me about? That was like God reminding us that he cares about us. How did I remember that God cared about us and cares that we do have a building and find a space? He brought about 15 or 20 great brethren out to come look at this building and check it out and do this. Why? To remind me and to remind us that, you know what? I love you, son. He applied his love through the people in my life that expressed that love and demonstrated that love. And it was such a great illustration of that love. It was great. It was such a blessing. Hey, who cares if that building works out or not? I don't, but I was more blessed by the fact that, wow, look at the family of God coming together just to kind of help each other out. You know what that is? That's great. That's fantastic. God doesn't care so much about the goal. He's caring about the process and what you're becoming in the process. Right? You know, you study, right? You work on your stick skills, Jason, your, you know, your hockey skills. You know what? You know what he's really caring about? My daughter works on her post moves and stuff. You know what God really cares about? The character that you're developing. You know, the person you're becoming. If that discipline of sport helps you become a disciplined human being, fantastic. If it turns you into a proud, arrogant idiot who has to roll in in his drip and just, you know, look like everybody's staring at him, then we don't want any part of you. But if it makes you a good, you know, all the stuff we do, tracting, witnessing, laboring, you know what it's supposed to do? Train you and change you and make you into a person that reflects the love of God and shows the world who he is. That's the end goal. How we interact with each other is meant to show God's love for us. And to me yesterday, call me pie in the sky, call me optimistic. I just call myself charitable. I just thought it was a, a great experience. It's just wonderful to see the family of God, guys like Jim Scroy and Kevin and Larry and Eddie and just a bunch of guys and a lot of guys from in here just came out just to, just to help each other out. Just the family of God just coming out to help each other out. Some of you on the edge of your seat like, are we getting the building? You're missing the point. That's not the point. The point is, God's love was applied through the people expressing that love. And that's it. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. It's a giving kind of love. So what does your love or lack thereof for each other say about God's love toward us? And if your love for the people in this room is supposed to tell people what God's love for us is like, how are you doing? How are you doing? Because God left us here to treat each other in such a way that the world would say, wow, God really loves you. How are you treating each other? <laughs> if it's more blessed to give than to receive, what are you giving to bless your brethren? Let me give you one more, Colossians chapter two. We said it was a giving kind of love, Colossians chapter. Can I give you one more? All right. I know you can't answer that question, honestly. Colossians two. All right, Colossians two. We also said... <clears throat> It was a unifying, fellowshipping kind of love, right? It was unity wrapped up in it. The Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things, Jesus said. Okay? Colossians 2.1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. The Lord wants his people to be knit together in love. Like that, knit together in love. Unified, together. Notice in verse one, he directs this desire to those in Laodicea. Hello, that's where we live. <laughs> You're living in Laodicea right now. That's the time period we're in. 
And in a polarized world like the world we're living in, where it's so polarized and so divisive and so just, oh, I don't, oh, oh, somebody's at the door. It's okay. The ring camera sees them. We don't have to go to the door. Just, you know, duck. Don't let them see you. Don't let them see you, right? I feel bad. This guy came. I did it this week. Some guy came this week. Some guy with the you know, patio guy rang the door at 10 o'clock in the morning, and we all went into high alert, you know? <laughs> Our phones all went off. Somebody's at the door. Somebody's at the door. Get the dog. You know, somebody's, you know, everybody, everybody, you know, Get down, get under the windows, get down the windows, get, get kids, get in the, get in the basement, get in the basement. There's somebody at the door, right? That's how we are now, right? You, it's great to do Operation Jerusalem because nobody comes to the door. We're probably all over the ring cameras of everybody in Matawan and South Amboy because, you know, we're just like those guys, you know, <laughs> you know, we just walk up there. And I know Danny Cohn likes to wave. <laughs> you know? Because there's a ring camera on every door, and it's just like, you know, alpha team, go. You know, it's just somebody at the door, they freak out. But that's the world we live in, where everybody's just tucked into their own little space. Don't look at each other, don't talk to each other. Just stare at your phone and pretend like you're angry, and nobody will bother you, right? And in a polarized world like that, the church of the last days can easily be caught in that spirit. Just leave me alone. Don't call me. Don't bother me. Don't talk to me. I just come to church, and then I leave. Great. Turn your frown upside down, please. You scare me, right? Just relax a little bit. Let your face know you're happy, all right? Um, and if you st- it's easy to get caught in that spirit. It's easy to put your proverbial ring camera on your life and just say, you know, talk to the ring camera, you know? I even have a pre-recorded message on mine. No, ding dong, you know, sorry, we can't come to the door right now. It's just like, I'm not even gonna talk to you. I'm just gonna put the recorded message on because we don't wanna interact with each other, right? But... God says we're supposed to be knit together in love. Now go to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to just end with this. This one's going to be rough. Corinthians is rough. Because I said, like Pastor Mel told us, we were like the Corinthians. And if you study the cosmopolitan Corinthians, you find out that schisms, divisions, can happen in the most subtle, pious ways. It could be like, what? You think divisions are happening because this guy's going drinking on Saturday night, coming in stone on Sunday morning. That's not the divisions of, of, of Corinthians. You think Corinthians are happening because this guy's, you know, worshiping in the Buddhist temple and trying to bring incense into the sanctuary at the church. No, that's not what's going on in Corinthians. It's subtle, pious nonsense just that gets in between people. I'll show you some of it right here. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 1, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 1. I talk faster than my mouth can form the words. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11. Paul says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas. You know the first reason you see divisions happening? Because some brethren follow men over God. Right? They got that celebrity culture in the church. Well, I like Pat, or I like this one, or I'm of Sabaka, or I'm of Veach, or I'm of Dean, or I'm of Mashanya, or I'm of Adler, or I'm of Murphy, or I'm of, you know, we get, we kind of like, you know, we gravitate towards the people that we like to be with and we want to be associated with them. And we form our little camps and our little cliques. And that's one really easy way. That's the first way you see those divisions creeping up into a church. I don't mean we all have to go to dinner at the same time. That's forced. I get it. But you know what? There should still be unity in here. We shouldn't be following any one person over God. And that's what they were doing here. They were like, forget about God. I like Paul's preaching. I like Apollos' preaching. I like Cephas' preaching. And then you see the second reason, and this is the good one, for spiritual division in a church. It's in the end of that verse 12. So some guys are going, I'm of Paul. And some guys are going, I'm of Apollos. And some guys are going, I'm of Cephas. And then you got the super spiritual elitists. I'm of Christ. I just follow God. I just want what God wants. And nobody else does? You're the only one? Oh, good for you. That's great. I, we were just following our flesh. We just come to church and fake it every Sunday. But you're the one that just wants what God wants. You know what that does? That breeds division. Spiritual elitists breed division. 
You say, what's a spiritual elitist? You know what a spiritual elitist is? A spiritual elitist loves to talk about how they serve God, about their relationship to God, how what God's doing with them and through them and how much they want to follow him. Be very careful of the person that wants to talk a lot about what they're doing for God and what God's doing through them. That person always makes me give them a second look. Because I read about the meekness of Christ. He didn't seem to talk too much about himself. Humility seems not to. And there's a voluntary humility. Watch the voluntary humility. Watch the person that gets up there and says, you know, it's not me, it's God, but I just got to tell you what God did through me. Watch that one like a hawk, baby, because that's the one that might be a spiritual elitist, a Pharisee in your midst. That's kind of like just trying to breed that type of sentiment into the church. Just putting yourself, looking down noses at anybody. I hate that I have to say that standing up here because we're really like on the same, I'm still not at the same level, but we're supposed to be on the same level, right? That's why I like standing on the ground in Lloyd Road. You're all above me, right? But we're supposed to be on the same level. Nobody's better than anybody else, right? We're all on the same level, but spiritual leaders, they talk about what God's doing through them and what's God. That's what the guy said right there. Well, you guys are following men, but I'm following God. As if nobody else in the church wanted to follow God. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Right? Watch out for spiritual leaders. They love to talk about how highly, about how they're serving the Lord. But you know what spiritual leaders, you know what the tell is? They got something negative to say about everybody else. Nobody's doing it right like they are. Nobody's doing it as good as they are. Right? I hate that critical spirit. You want to know what I hate? I hate it. You know what grandma said? If you don't have something nice to say, Shut your mouth. Now she said it nicer, but that's what I want to add to it. Just look, we're all trying, right? We're all trying. Some of you working 70 hours a week. Some of you raising babies. We're trying. I know I'm going to take charity and say, I'm assuming we're doing the, but you're doing the best you can. And if you're doing the best you can, then I can't ask for more than that. If you're not, then that's between you and God. But every, we got to watch that critical spirit, that spiritual elitism it's characterized by a critical spirit. And Pastor Dean looked me dead in the eyes and he warned me six years ago. He said, brother, a critical spirit will kill your church faster than fornication. And I think he's right. Because it just puts a chill on everything. It just, it just makes it uncomfortably around each other. Because did I do it right? Are they judging me? Are they upset with this? Are they going to rebuke me? Are they going to reprove me? Are they going to give me their two cents? Can't we just all, to quote the, the brother, can't we all just get along? Right? Can't we all just, just like, just enjoy being with each other? You know? Yesterday was a great example. We get the building. We don't get the building. You think it's good. We don't think it's good. Who cares? We had a good time together. We looked at it. We worked together. All right. It isn't or isn't. Who cares? It's how we treat each other, right? Let's enjoy being with each other. And the last thing, chapter three. I mean, am I preaching to anybody on that? Right? I know I probably have to stop soon, right? I'm probably going, oh boy, yeah, I'm, I'm done in like two minutes. Don't worry, right? I'll stop right here. First Corinthians three, verse one. Divisions happen because some brethren are just babies. They're just babies. Three, one. And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as the babes in Christ. Babies are self-absorbed blobs of flesh. Oh, they're cute. They're lovely. They are. I love them to death. But they're selfish little blobs. They just eat, sleep, and want to get changed and just want to projectile diarrhea all over you and not even care that it was your new suit going to church the first time. You're going to hold them up. Did that happen to me? Yeah, it did. Right? I'm not going to tell you Stephen peed on me the first time I got him ready for church. I mean, this happened. You know, Stephen, he didn't know what he was doing, but, you know, held him up in the suit, blast off. You know, it's just... <laughs> right? Because it's all about them. Ah, I'm hungry. Ah, I'm thirsty. Ah. It's all about them. Babies are self-absorbed. They want it their way. You know what else babies are? Babies are easily offended. Just try to take their baba or their toy. They look so cute. Take their baba when they're sucking on it. Watch how cute that baby goes from zero to devil in three seconds. <laughs> you know, it's just like the head spins around, vomit. It's just like crazy, scary stuff. Are you controlling like that? Are you so self-absorbed that if it isn't your way, then it's not the right way, then it's not my way. You know, you're, that's a baby. That's a baby. That's somebody taking your baba to touch your toy right? Are you easily offended or are you unoffendable? We're supposed to be unoffendable. So I'm unoffendable. I'll try it. I'll try to take your Baba one day. 
I'll step on your proverbial toes when they will see how you react. We'll see if you just as great peace of they which love thy law and nothing thou shall offend them until somebody takes your baba. And then, verse three, for you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Folks, if you don't love each other like the Lord and love each other like men love each other, you're gonna tear each other apart. Every great empire crumbles from the inside. Study history. Greece, Rome, England, America. We're just tearing each other apart from the inside. The only thing we learn from history is we don't learn from history. So I ask you, will you destroy yourselves, dear church? Will you destroy yourselves? Because if we're not insulated in here, we will be infiltrated by the divisive spirit out there. And last verse, just end with me in John 15. I'll pray in just a second here. John 15. Thank you for your attention. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for putting up with me. Am I ranting? All right. John 15, 17. These things I suggest to you. These things I advise you. Things, these, these things I suggest to you. No, these things, John 15, 17, I command you that ye love one another. Jesus Christ commands us to apply God's insulating love because if we don't apply God's insulating love in here, how will disciples ever face the cold world that's waiting for us out there? Right? Because God's in the building business. Are you interested in building Christians, Christian? Proverbs 14.1 says, Every wise woman buildeth her house but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Are you a wise woman, dear church, or are you foolish? It would be pretty foolish to frame a house and not insulate the walls, right? What would you think of a builder who just left the insulation in the truck while he sheetrocked all the walls? You're like, what are you doing? I, I can't, what? It's far more foolish to receive God's insulating love yourself and not apply it to your brother or sister. It's just as bad. It's worse. And Jesus Christ knew there were tough days ahead for his disciples, so he insulated them in the upper room. And brethren, there are tough days ahead for us. So we need to insulate ourselves with God's love or we will freeze to death spiritually in the cold, dark world that's all around us. Choice is ours. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we love you today. We thank you.